Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Djokovic exacts revenge on Alcaraz. Coco Goff wins the biggest title of her career again. And Jamie Murray falls just short in the men's doubles. Kim, today is the 21st of August and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Novak Djokovic and Coco Goff are your Cincinnati champions and we can just catch our breath can't we we're now in the build-up to the US Open the last week before the last Grand Slam of the year and what a treat we had last night into the early hours I'm not gonna lie I am still catching up on my beauty sleep that I foregoed from watching Djokovic Alcaraz which ended just around like you know pleasantly like kind of 2am local time in the UK Just the perfect way to start off the work week, being really tired from staying up late, watching tennis the night before. It was one of those, like, I know this is going to be bad for me in the morning, but at the same time, I just, I was like, Joel, you'd be an idiot to turn this off. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those just absolutely brilliant, you know, breathtaking at times matches, worthy, obviously, of a Grand Slam final. And it's just, you know, another, I guess, rendition in there, sort of, burgeoning early days of their of their rivalry um and yeah you couldn't not not watch it if you'd started so um yeah you may look a little worse for wear today Joel but I think you know it was worth it (laughs) yeah it was certainly uh, a sight a spectacle uh, that fitted the the occasion and I say Coco Goff as well just going to new heights so we'll be discussing all of that we're also going to be discussing the WTA end of season finals which still doesn't have a location much to the annoyance of on Jabor and uh, yeah we've got we've got lots we've got lots to talk about and I'm excited because you are back on the show because you I think you've been tra- you've been traveling you've been away and yeah you're you're back in HQ and we've got a we've got a double header to look forward to this week I know I'm back with a bang because I've got two <laughs> episodes in like four days so yeah I'm I'm very much back and yeah had a nice little you know time away uh traveling around a bit um and i mean my highlight though whilst i've been away is actually uh something from our listener uh kenny koala bear <laughs> who was also on their travels and who uh, messaged us very nicely on twitter to say that they'd been inspired by the podcast to have their very first hugo on holiday wow. um and they they very much enjoyed it so um thanks for sharing that with us because that made my my time off from the podcast when um when i saw that because everyone loves a Hugo. I mean, it's the it's everyone's drink of choice, or it should be. You got to remind me what is a Hugo again? I've I've already forgotten. Oh, Joel, it's prosecco, uh, elderflower cordial, I'm sold already. soda water, mint leaves. <laughs> it's the most refreshing thing you could possibly ever want. Oh, um, yes, <laughs> it's the tennis weekly drink of choice. It is. And, uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. So yeah, really was really really great to see, wasn't it? I mean, my highlight uh, was actually on the tennis court, and uh, it was something I, I I noticed on Novak Djokovic's run to being Cincinnati champion. He had a match against Gael Monfils, and I know that their rivalry has been one of the most lopsided rivalries um, in in the Open era, and in fact. With the, the defeat of Gael Monfils uh, by Novak Djokovic in Cincinnati, he has now beaten him for a 19th straight time. So Novak Djokovic is 19-0 and 0 against Gael Monfils, and it is now officially the most one-sided ATP Tour matchup. So, uh, you know, it's not. it was tied with Nadal and Gasquet. <laughs> 
which I think says a lot, given that it's it's gone one one further than that. Yeah, and I think there's some other sort of very one-sided things like Federer, David Ferrer, Federer usually they have a seventeen and zero, but yeah, Novak Djokovic going one piece. Um, Poor, poor Gail Monfils. He must be thinking, what on earth do I need to do to, to get that one win? And I think Djokovic actually signed a T-shirt for, for Monfils that said, sorry, not sorry. Like he was just sort of <laughs> rubbing it. I mean, it was obviously done in a kind of jokey, yeah. playful banter type way. But uh, I, was, I sort of, my instant reaction was he's, he's just rubbing salt in the wound there. I thought you were going to say he had a football shirt of the number 19 on or something. <laughs> oh, like a Roger Federer, Andy Roddick, Wimbledon, cardigan yeah, situation. The, yeah, with the gold lettering number 15. Um, <laughs> I would love that. If they if they have another matchup, I want... Uh, can there be a limited edition Lacoste jacket that Djokovic comes on with, with like an embroidered 19 and 0? <laughs> <laughs> or 20, knowing he's going to win the next yes. one as well, if they get there. But talking of football, Joel, I was quite pleased to also see Billie Jean King at the Women's World Cup final in Australia. That was nice to I, I was tennis represented. I was perplexed. I was confused. I was like, hang on, USA aren't here um what was i don't under is this just kind of like championing women's women's sport in general and and Billie Jean king's so. an icon of that that's I that's think, it right i think she was doing a speech at some sort of related function but um i was i always look to see if she's in that pink magenta sort of place <laughs> yes. that i know you love so much <laughs> but she wasn't <laughs> but um yeah it was nice to see her there but um yeah and, and obviously England losing out in in the football but uh sad times. hopefully yeah I know sad times Spain Spain winning they didn't win Cincinnati though did they because Novak Djokovic uh, came out on top mm. against Carlos Alvarez Yeah they couldn't have it they couldn't have it all could they but uh yeah I was a little bit down in the dumps from that result on on Sunday morning but certainly the tennis in the evening did perk me right up yes because Novak Djokovic very much avenged his Wimbledon final defeat in yet another thriller he had to save uh, a match point in the second set you know Alcaraz could have got the job done in in two sets but should have maybe yeah should have and Djokovic you know taking it into a third set then Alcaraz saving you know multiple match points himself taking it into a tie break I mean it had all the ups and downs and oohs and ahs of of that Wimbledon final, what we've seen from them already. Um, and I mean, just bringing it onto the hard court, you know, we've seen them on multiple surfaces already so far this year, over the last couple of months. All the matches have been interesting in their own right um, and maybe, you know, arguably getting better each time. And I'm, I think with this result, everyone's thinking, all right, we're going to have the next instalment at the US Open, please. Well, I mean, it's two, it's two apiece now. And uh, it is fascinating how it has gone from the, you know, the grass courts to the hard courts. But re- like, regardless of what surfaces, they are just there to entertain. And I think what's so compelling about this matchup is just the shot making that they are able to produce, particularly under pressure. I mean, some of the ways that, that Alcaraz saved some of those championship points that Novak Djokovic had was unbelievable. And, um, you know, to think that Djokovic was, you know, a set down, you know, he looked like, to be honest, he didn't even look like he was going to finish the match at, at one point in that second set. He looked very much like the the heat was was getting to him. Um, you know, the conditions just generally across the week have been very, very tough. And um, yeah, at one stage I was wondering, like, is, is Djokovic? Djokovic gonna is he gonna retire here? Yeah, but we have we have seen that from him before, where he's looked a bit mm. down and out, struggling physically with the heat, um, very draining conditions out in Cincinnati, and and actually he did compare this match to the Australian Open final that he played against Rafa in, in 2012, which went almost six hours, and you know players needing a chair afterwards because. The conditions were so draining. I did watch the ceremony wondering and, and thinking, weren't they going to get offered a chair to kind of sit sit down on uh, if they were if they were going to stand up? But uh, yeah, we it didn't obviously it didn't obviously get get to that. But yeah, it was such a physical it was such a physical battle. And I think you know what did interest me was the fact that it felt like Alcaraz coming into this final he was he was fresh as a daisy, and it was really Djokovic who was suffering from the conditions and going into the US Open I do I do wonder if of course Djokovic will be put on the night session you know more often than not given top billing and I think that will suit him but if he is given a day session and you know the conditions are similar to the kind of Cincinnati they're hot they're humid and sticky I certainly think that 
adds a level of vulnerability to Djokovic that a player that still has to be, I think, at the top of their game can exploit. But I certainly feel like there's a difference between Novak Djokovic in day session conditions and Novak Djokovic in cooler early evening, late night conditions. And I think we saw that in this final because it felt like the more the sun setted you know, during the match, the more that Novak Djokovic came into the ascendancy. Yeah, and that might you know, play a, a crucial factor if they do meet at the US Open because, mm. you know, you've obviously got best of five. It's over two weeks. It's more more grueling if Novak's getting embroiled into perhaps longer drawn out matches earlier on in the tournament and the conditions are like they've been in, in Cincy, then he may not, you know, get to that point in the, you know if, if they were to meet in in the final where he is as as fresh as he was yesterday even though he didn't look at all fresh yesterday for, for parts of it but I mean yeah at age 36 the fact that he's able to fend off a Carlos Alcaraz at age 20 who just plays lights out tennis you know that all credits Djokovic he is the supreme master of masters series you know he's what is he's won his 39th masters 1000 crown um which incidentally he's on his 95th title overall so he'll be counting down to you know 100 titles Mm. um yeah century of titles soon um he's actually one win away which would be a monte carlo title from having won all nine masters uh events three times each which you know no one has has done that before so you know, he, he, is, he is continuing to to break and, and sort of knock off records. Um, but yeah, the fact that he was able to take everything that Carlos Alcaraz kind of threw at him and still come out on top, given these conditions and given his age, you know, he, he like we said, you know, he he was relating this match to the 2012 Australian Open final. That was 11 years ago, and he's still able to kind of hustle and uh, battle his way through. Um, and he did also sort of say, you know, it is reminiscent of, of his battles against Rafa when they were both in their prime, um, like in that AO final of 2012. And, you know, we've said Alcaraz has a lot of similarities to to Rafa, but but this it really does kind of give you that um, that feeling when you're watching these two you know, the top two players on the tour in the world at the moment, giving us these these showdowns. Um, it definitely gives me those vibes, uh, you know, as a, as a Rafa fan, you know, I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Alcaraz. Definitely. And I think I think what's so fascinating about this period is that we are in a period of, of transition and with, you know, Nadal on the, you know, on the injury shelf at the moment, we are getting this kind of intergenerational battle you know, between Djokovic and Alcaraz. And it's just fascinating to see two players from different eras, from, you know, different positions in their careers, just go out onto the tennis court, give it their all and produce these, you know, produce these matches that are just so thrilling. And they feel like they just kind of pick up and pick up from where they left off last time at Wimbledon and um, I think it really is something to savour the fact that we don't really get these I'd say these intergenerational matchups that often we got that sort of crossover I think between you know Pete Sampras and and Roger Federer and we always you know remember about that you know that match that they had at, at Wimbledon which was almost kind of a, a passing of the torch but I always feel like they only come up and you really recognise and appreciate them in these transition moments and uh I think, you know, it was fascinating, I think, to think about, you know, Alcaraz after Wimbledon, people were thinking, again, similar, is this the passing of the torch? But, you know, Novak Djokovic has really come back here and said, well, actually, you know, not not just yet. And uh, he's proven that regardless of what he appears to look like on the court, whether he feels like he's you know, physically ailing or, you know, he's just struggling on the court, he is just able to go to places other players I don't think are able to go to mentally and really battle back from the brink. And uh, that for me was a real kind of joy to, I think, watch and unfold in this match. And, you know, a lot of people I think would say it's fascinating to see that play out over best of five, but even in this kind of best of three set format, it was just as thrilling. Yeah. And, and almost, you know, often longer than a, a five set match, you know, three hours, 49 minutes, plenty of matches at Grand Slams do not last that long and they're, they're best of five. But I think what, from Djokovic's perspective, you know, he's in the twilight years of his career. He could happily just sort of, you know, play and, and kind of rack up more titles, but do so without much of a 
I don't know, a, a real sort of fire in his belly, a real challenge. But I think having Alcaraz here is actually, you know, even in the twilight stages of his career, Djokovic is going to have to continue to learn and grow and adapt to kind of overcome what Alcaraz is giving him. So actually, you know, if you're looking at it from Djokovic's perspective, it's it's a new challenge. You know, he can't just sort of um, take everything for granted. It, it's going to make him you know, learn and, and adapt more. And and Alcaraz has, you know, from his perspective, so much that he can just soak up from Djokovic. And every time he plays him, you know, with all those years of experience, I mean, he's got so much to learn from all of these encounters. So I think they're both, what, what I'm hoping they're both going to get out of it is that it's not just playing this fantastic tennis with each other and delighting the crowd, but just really learning from each other and using this kind of quite unique moment in, in both of their careers, actually, you know, one at the beginning, one at the end, without wanting, I'm not saying Djokovic is going to retire imminently, but, you know, he could have several more years in him yet. But I think it's quite, it's not just a, a quick changing of the guard, is it? it? We're probably going to have this period where these two are the dominant force. And I think it's going to be quite an, an interesting one to kind of, I don't know, get into and, and sort of analyse when we see each of their matches and what they bring to the table. Yeah, and I think one one way that I saw Djokovic do something new or, so, or something I've not really seen much of him do before in a tennis court was serve and volley. Mm. Um, he was bringing out that a lot as a tactic against Carlos Alcaraz in this match. I mean, Alcaraz was so far behind the baseline at times and, and Djokovic, as I said, kind of felt that was an opportunity for him to come in, um, whether that was on a first serve or even sometimes it was on, on the second serve as well. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see. I think these players kind of learn in the moment and, you know, think about what, you know, what strategies I can bring in to overcome this player and to see Djokovic, as I said, willing to kind of think about things a bit differently because you sort of normally associate him with, um, you know, being at the back of the court. We all know his smash is not necessarily <laughs> on point all of the time, but to see him, as I say, kind of come into the net more often than not and, and kill off the point whilst Alcaraz sort of lulling around at, at the back to me was quite interesting in terms of you know tactics that Djokovic is looking to employ that can get him the upper hand so that you know he's not just necessarily embroiled in all these rallies from the back of the court where we just know both of their shot making capabilities can mean that really from any part of that court they could potentially turn defence into offence and hit a winner. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's just, it's really interesting to see how they, they're both adapting to um, to try and get that upper hand. And I mean, we've mentioned briefly, but going into the US Open, they will be the top two seeds. Alcaraz is still just the world number one, but Djokovic just needs to win, I think, one match at Flushing Meadows <laughs> and he will retake that uh, number one ranking. So it seems somewhat inevitable that it will zoom Djokovic's again. But I mean, these two would be scheduled to meet in the final and barring kind of any injuries or upsets, we could be in for an absolute corker of a grandstand final again between these two. Given what we've seen in Cincinnati, Joel, can you pick a clear favourite between the two or do you think it's literally just going to come down to a point here or there? Very, very fine margin. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I, I think, for me, I think they both go in as favourites and I personally can't separate the two of them I think they're both really on song at the moment and I think for Alcaraz I mean in Cincinnati I think it did click in the final I don't think he showed his best tennis I think on the journey to there but once he came up against Djokovic something just clicked for him and it just showed I think what a big match player he is so maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty maybe around getting to that moment given as I say kind of what we've seen this week and to be honest what we saw you know last week in, in the Rogers Cup in in Toronto but I think you what you see what is what you get and you know where Novak Djokovic is level is at and the fact that he's just come in one tournament his first tournament in North America I think for you know a few years given you know all the rules and regulations around the, you know his COVID and, and vaccination status um, yeah, I would. I personally would put them level pegging. It's just too for me too hard to split. Where are you? Are you? Do you have one of them slightly ahead of the other, or are you are you are you fence sitting like myself? Yeah, I mean, I kind of very reluctantly, Joel. I kind of completely <laughs> agree with what you've just said because I mean, if you looked at the other matches throughout the Cincinnati tournament, you know, Alcaraz did have a bit more of a battle to to get through to the final. Mm. You know, with 
batches against Purcell and, and Hubert Hercage. You know, Jordan Thompson, even though there was a couple of three setters in there, really, he had to yeah. battle his way through. Djokovic, on the other hand, coming through. Very you know, business-like. Kind of, yeah, seamlessly, as, as always. So I think it just it might come down to if, if we're having these sort of um, – grueling conditions and and how they're making their pathways through to the final and I don't know who's more vulnerable and susceptible to perhaps a shock early exit I'd probably still say Alcaraz was more susceptible to that given Djokovic's experience and the other thing to add into the into the mix is the fact that Carlos Alcaraz is the defending champion so Mm. that's a new situation for him in in New York and you know that will bring another level of pressure that um you know he's will you know will be unfamiliar with so again it will be interesting to see how that plays on into his mind whether he can just kind of shrug that off and be able to produce his best tennis but i certainly think from the fans point of view i think 95% of them are hoping for part 5 carlos alcaraz novak djokovic in a few weeks time in the us open men's final Yes, and I, I would be lying if I said I also <laughs> wouldn't be down for that. So, <laughs> um, before we move on to look at the uh, the women's results, so um, really fantastic week for Jamie Murray, uh, British player, of course, and his partner Michael Venus of New Zealand because they got to the men's doubles final. They had a match point, frustratingly, but lost to Maximo Gonzalez and Andres Moltini. But they'll be hoping going into the US Open that they can kind of put this their good their good run of form this year, um, you know, and put it into sort of some format at Grand Slam because they've they've had three titles together this year. So yeah. you know looking he's, good for Jamie. I think Jamie Murray's he's become like the forgotten man, I feel, uh, beyond uh, behind, you know, Neil Skupski and uh, and Joe Salisbury. So nice to see him, I think, get to the final. But um, I feel like they've been in this situation a few times of one point here or there, taking the title, not taking the title. And and a few times now, they've just not been able to close it, which is, I think, really, really frustrating. But it's still impressive to see, I think, Jamie Murray produce this level of tennis, I think. You know, he's been around, you know, a bit a bit longer. But I think, you know, certainly you see, like, I think players like Rajiv Ram have shown that in the, on the double circuit, you know, the older you get, the, the more success um, it can bring. So I think, yeah, it's really exciting for, for Jamie, particularly going into Flushing Meadows and, and seeing yeah where that can take him because, you know, they defeated Kulhoff and Skupski, the top seeds here. So despite not getting the result here in the title, they'll definitely have a lot of confidence going into that. Yeah, and from a British perspective, it's great that, you know, we've got both Neil Skupski mm. and Jamie Murray going you know going strong really in the doubles so um so yeah great great for jamie who is yeah a bit of a veteran now on the doubles game but like you said <laughs> still going strong is he the veteran on the double circuit because as i said i feel like they all play till like they're like <laughs> he's still a spring chicken then yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean one player who is is very much still a spring chicken coco goff of course still only i think 19 years of age but um has just picked up the biggest title of her career her first 1000 event in cincinnati uh, she beat carolina mukova in the final the french open finalist uh, but it was straight sets to coco goff Quite a, a straightforward scoreline, 6-3, 6-4. Uh, but golf having the most fantastic hardcore season, you know, in the summer in the US um, and Canada so far. The last time I saw her, you know, play Sophia live Kenin. was, yeah, lo- losing to Kenin first round of Wimbledon, you know, very disappointing for her. But she's she certainly rebounded with, um, you know, a great, great run of form winning the title in dc getting to the quarters in montreal just you know narrowly missing out to pagula who obviously won the title and, and now she's won cincinnati but you know yes she beat mukova in the mukova in the final but she beat eager in the semis which was probably the the, the real story of of the fortnight of the of the last week sorry yeah i mean she she was seven and oh in terms of losses to wins uh in that rivalry against sean tech and i looked at some of the those matches and the set score lines they weren't even they weren't even competitive and it was interesting to hear because because Goff actually spoke about the uh you know, the Djokovic Monfils rivalry and she was like guys it's like getting that this rivalry is getting that way and it's just like I don't want that I don't want that to become a thing uh for Gosh Fiontech so yeah it was great to see her raise her level and get the win against the world number one because you, as you said she's going into her home grand slam she reached the quarterfinals last year 
and she's she's just playing such great tennis at the moment and you know going back to that result against Sophia Kennan where it just went horribly wrong for her in her first match you know the forehand just completely broke down was very very ugly I think in a weird way she sort of needed that it was like a I think you know at the time it probably hurt and it probably stung and it didn't feel great but just looking back on that moment I think it it almost kind of served a purpose in actually sort of resetting and recalibrating her and and being like right well this has happened something's got to change and you know the fact that she's brought Brad Gilbert on she's had a new coach come on board also in the last few months it's really really you know working and the fact that we're still sort of in the infancy of that working relationship with this sort of team that, that she has now it feels like it's only going to go and get better you know they, they would have I think worked on tweaks to her game particularly in her kind of weaknesses which I would say around her forehand the serve and also the, the return but again there are being massive gains being made particularly I think in terms of the weight of shot that she is bringing to the court particularly with the forehand the speeds are a lot higher and as a result that forehand to me has become a lot more devastating has become a lot a lot more of a weapon and for Coco Goff, that means it can it can take her places. And it's taken her to be a 500 champion. It's taken her to be now a 1,000 champion. And who's to say it can't take her to be a Grand Slam champion? In the same summer, perhaps, you know, just mm. going up and up and up each time. Um, I mean, I think bringing someone fresh in like Brad Gilbert is a, is a great move. Sometimes that's, that's what is needed, that burst of like fresh blood into your team, a couple of tweaks here and there. And it seems to be paying off so far. And I just think... Yeah, she's rebounded super well after that disappointing Wimbledon. And she's on, you know, half courts, which which she loves. She's playing at home. Um, and, you know, we saw with her her doubles partner last last week, JPEG, you know, winning in Montreal. Now Coco Goff picked up a title. I'm assuming they're still going to be playing doubles at the US Open together. So, I mean, that's going to be a formidable pairing if they're both in great form as well. Um, but I just think, yeah, it's fantastic to see because we've been talking about Coco Goff for so many years. And it is frustrating when her forehand it does break down. Um, and, you know, it's such a sort of obvious thing that she needs to to work on. So it's um, it's just such a nice thing to see her having this fantastic summer so far. And, and she really did kind of get the better of, of Mukova, you know, in the final, um, you know, by far the more confident player. She, you know, she broke immediately consolidating it. And Mukova just didn't really have too much to, to you know, to, to kind of um, to give to Coco to sort of, uh, fend what fend off what Coco was bringing to the table. Yeah, and I think Mukova talked about the fact that Coco Goff is she's just very physically fit, and mm. you know, despite having a real battle against the you know the world number one, because how many times do we see you know players create the upset and then you know ran out of energy and momentum in in the next round, but she's able to carry it on, and I think particularly these conditions they were tough and they were attritional and I think she's just very well acclimatized to them and and for Carolina Mukova I think it did catch up with her a little bit she did give a lot a lot more fight I think in that in that second set and it was a little bit nervy for Goff in the end because you know she was I think 5-2 up got back to 5-4 fortunately she had a second bite at the cherry to, to close it but um yeah I just think it shows the you know the confidence that she's playing with regardless of if there's a step back, you know, she's just going to kind of take a new approach and, and see what she can do. And um, it'll be fascinating to see how she gets on at the US Open. I think she's just going to revel in the, you know, the atmosphere and being at home. You know, we've seen how kind of chilled and, and how she kind of takes, I think, the you know, the, that tag and, and being in, in the United States, um, you know, in her stride. And I think she can really use that to you know, help her, help elevate her game and help potentially get her to go on and win her first Grand Slam, you know, singles title, because I certainly think there's, there is an opportunity there, regardless of being, you know, 19 years old, it feels like now this summer is for me kind of ushers in like the next phase of her, her career really. And um, it, to me, it's that, that era of, right, I've, I've now got all the tools, you know, available to me yet. Yeah, maybe there's still work to be done and I think you know maybe Brad Gilbert will go away and, and and maybe you know in the off season for example they might look at 
making uh, you know more wholesale changes perhaps to her to her Arsenal if if the relationship continues. But yeah, at the moment, right here, right now, she is definitely a contender. Absolutely, and I think just getting that win over Shriontek you know going into a grand slam knowing you've got that win mm. is is such a confidence boost because for me as a fan you know someone who's watched coco golf for a number of years that's always been the thing that's stopped me i guess predicting her from going all the way is the fact that oh she just seems to kind of lose four and three against eager whenever they play like she's not really a contender in those matches but having beaten her here um yeah it kind of changes that that story yeah. for me and I, I'm just hoping going into the US Open, we don't see Coco have that kind of um, Sophia difficulty. Kenin for, she doesn't have Sophia Kent in first round. <laughs> well, yeah, that. But <laughs> I mean, also, she's got a week off, hasn't she? We, we saw with uh, Pagula here, you know, straight off the back of Montreal, she fell to Buskova, like four and love. You know, she wasn't able to um, to back that, that title win up up from last week but we've had a number of players you know who did well in in Montreal sort of succumb quite early in um, Cincinnati and a lot of them retiring you know Rabakina um, I think Donna Vekic uh, Mackenzie McDonald for the men Lajovic there were four retirements from all those players in in one day in the middle of their matches Um, and a lot of them you know we saw Yannick Sinner also go out first round um, after having won in um, Toronto I mean there's just there's no turnaround between the two events, which has led to a lot of early losses, a lot of retirements. And at least we won't be, you know, they do have a week off now before the US Open, which I think is very much needed um, because it's just like we were saying with with Alcaraz and Djokovic, it's such gruelling conditions. And we've we've seen that with, with players kind of having a bit of an up and down, you know, from one Masters to another, two different stories. Yeah, the the schedule really in the build up to to New York is is brutal. There is just no breathing room whatsoever. And in fact, there's an there's an overlap. Like there's there's play in Cincinnati on the Sunday, whilst you know in 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 Canada there is also there is also play on the Sunday, and it feels too jam packed. And you know, I know I am aware that you know the plan is that these tournaments will become two-week affairs from 2025 and as a result there have been some mutterings of it moving from Cincinnati to to nearby to to Charlotte but um yeah I just think the schedule needs to be needs to be looked at and you know last week we were talking about you know the fact that Canada you know some of the stadia don't doesn't have a roof and that's a real issue because you know you've, you've got one week there is not a lot of time to to finish these you know these events I think for here given just how how brutal the conditions have been the fact that it's the second event and you've got players who are carrying on from you know for Rabakina for example having played you know till 3am it has a carry on effect and i just worry that the fact that we have these back to back events in such a short space of time it doesn't mean we're going to see the best of these players come the US Open i know they have a week off now but it's asking a lot and I think it's asked too much I think personally of the top players that you know we're just realistically not going to see them you know when I don't it's just going to be very hard to see someone like go and make a run of it you know to win you know to win both of them for example I mean Igor Fiante I think she got to the semi-finals of of both so I think that just shows just how how difficult and how grueling it is to just go from one one to the other. Yeah, and I think it robs like Cincinnati of, of as good a tournament as they could have had if you're getting players dropping out early because they just can't, um, you know, can't carry on that that momentum and that that form from the previous week because they're just absolutely, you know, destroyed physically. I think from 2025, um, it's going to be a two-week tournament. Um, and I think it's going to move perhaps to Charlotte, actually, from from Cincinnati. So we may see some changes kind of in a couple of years' time. I think, I think they're, they're looking them. at the calendar to make it a bit fairer on players. And also, you know, that will benefit fans as well. Because I don't want to watch a match and see someone retire with, you know, heat stroke or an injury that has been brought on because they've had literally half a day of rest <laughs> and they've had to jump on a plane between the tournaments. Um you know, and, and with Shviontek, you know, you said like, yes, yeah, she's reached the semifinals of, of both tournaments. Obviously, she lost to Coco Goff. She's been having quite a hard time, uh, I think, on like social media. She came out saying that she gets so much hate and criticism after losing even a set because people have this 
you know, expectation of perfection from her. Um, and that was really sad to see because I know, you know, these players are in the public eye. They do get, unfortunately, online, um, you know, criticism and, and, and hate, which is just totally unacceptable. But, you know, I guess it, it's, you know, she's just highlighted the issue this week that, you know, yes, she lost to, to Koki off in the semifinals. She didn't have a perfect um, tournament. And, you know, we have to be mindful that these players are doing their, their absolute best and it's difficult conditions and their schedule is very tricky. And, you know, you, you just can't, you can't be perfect and, and win and win and win. You know, they're not machines. It's disappointing because, you know, I think we had, we've had this discussion in the past with, with Naomi Osaka. And unfortunately, I think, you know, from that point of view, it, it sort of, led to her I think falling out of love with the game and you know going going on a break I certainly think it was like a contributing factor and it's just something that is ever present uh it feels like on the tour and it just doesn't feel like something obviously that the players want to want to deal with I mean Shiontek was quoted as saying you know the amount of hate and criticism me and my team get after losing a set is ridiculous I want to encourage people to be more thoughtful when they comment on the internet. We all sacrifice a lot. We're all working really hard to be in that place. We're always giving 100% of what we can do every day. So, you know, she's championing and using you know, her number one ranking as a platform, I think, to um, to kind of help with that. But it's, I think, a shame that this isn't a new situation. We've been here lots and lots of times before, but I guess it shows for Shiontech, like <laughs> the level she is playing at, you know, she, any one thing, one step, one minute thing um, out of place, you know, people going to jump on her and it just seems ridiculously, ridiculously unfair. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll we hope that going into the US Open, all of that kind of, I mean, I say it's not going to die down, is it? Because it's a fact of life, very sadly, that these online trolls and haters exist. But, you know, I hope that people... Um, can you know by speaking out that you know it draws attention to it and some people may may think twice but um let's take a quick break now we'll be back in the second half to discuss the return of the elite trophy in juhai uh, where on earth the wta end of season finals may be later in the year and we'll also be looking at the final two tournaments before the us open uh, we've got winston salem and also tennis in the land uh, this week so do not go anywhere there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a mysterious player, uh, which we haven't had in a long time, Joel. So I'm quite excited. <laughs> a long time between you and me. I actually did a mysterious player last week with Chris, and uh, you know I don't want to I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, to be honest, I am. Uh, I did. I think I did pretty well. You are a genius. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I personally think I'm better at mysterious player than part of the court. The, the pressure mm. just gets to me, and I'm much better in uh, a mysterious player setting. You love just knowing players' birthdays, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, what have you got for me then, and right. for our listeners? Right, this is the set of clues I have you. I'm going to start with clue number one for you and our listeners, and it is this: I was born on. March 23rd, 1985. 1985. Okay, so they are 30 
eight years old. Okay. Um, so they're sort of of that Raphael Nadal generation, but like a year older. Feliciano Lopez is older than that, but it could be someone like Tommy Robredo. Incorrect. It's not. Okay. I'll move on to the next clue. I have a career-high WTA singles ranking of 30, which I achieved in July 2011. Right, okay, definitely not Tommy Robredo then. (laughs) Uh, WTA, ranked 30, 2011. 38 years of age. Patty Schneider? Incorrect. It's oh. not Patty Schneider. I like that guess, though. <laughs> love that. I love that name. Love that reference. Right. Next clue. My best results at singles in Grand Slams is round four at Wimbledon 2008 and in the French Open 2013. 2008 Wimbledon and 2013 French Open. They'll get a little bit easier after this one. That's all right. I've I've got a sudden thought. Ooh, okay. Of who it might be, but I I really don't know. I mean, I think they're more of a doubles player, but probably of a similar age. And I think they got to like a fourth round of singles. Um, Maria Jose Martinez Sanchez. Wow, that is a great name, and I like the thinking there. <laughs> but it's incorrect. Oh, okay. <laughs> but this might help you. I am a former doubles world number one, which I achieved in January 2017. Oh, okay. Sanya Mietza? Do you think she got to, was she 30 in singles as well? Incorrect. It's not Sanya Mietza. Okay. Okay, next, next clue. I played the 2021 French Open with Iga Sviontek. Ending up as runners-up to Barbora Krachikova and Katerina Sinyakova. Shiontek got to a doubles final. I know. Oh, was that the year that Shiontek won the... Mm-hmm. I think that was the year she beat singles. Simona Halep in the fourth round. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, and that was the year that Krachikova won the singles because she won both, didn't she? So Shiontek got to the doubles final. Who did she play with? Age 38. That's really tough. Um, <laughs> oh, has been doubles number one. Not Hingis. No, 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 that's ridiculous. She's been higher than 30 in singles. Um, oh, bet the listeners have got this and they're shouting at me through <laughs> I'm going to have to hurry you, Kim. Um, yep. Yeah, um, oh, Svetlana but No, that's completely wrong as well. <laughs> Incorrect. It's not Jill Svetlana. <laughs> it's not Jill Krabass either. No. Right. Move on to the next clue. I've won a mixed doubles Grand Slam title with Jamie Murray. Oh, it's not Elena Jankovic because she's been higher than, you know, uh, 13 singles. Jamie Murray. Oh, um, yes, he did win a slam, didn't he? Bethany Matek-Sands. That is the correct oh, answer. Yes, yes. it's Bethany <laughs> Matic Sands. Very, oh, very good. Excellent. Yes. Um, Got there in the end. Yes, I, I was sort of worried. I was a little bit worried because I only had two clues left. One was around her fashion. That was my last. That mm. was going to be my last clue around her. Uh, I'm known for being a bit of a fashion icon on the tennis court. And obviously, who can forget her striped cowboy hat? at the 2005 US Open, which got her fined. Um, (laughs) And uh, I also remember she had that really bad injury, didn't she, at Wimbledon Mm. uh, to her knee against Serana Castella. So that was going to be my other other clue. So, um, yeah, it was Bethany Matic-Sands, who I think pretty handy singles and doubles player. Yeah, I used to enjoy watching it. And she used to play uh, and they won quite a few slams with with Lucy Shavajava as well. Very good. Very, very good. Yes. No, fantastic. Thank you very much, Joel. I hope our listeners did better than I did, uh, but we got there in the end. (laughs) So let's have a look at what's in the Tennis Weekly mailbag. Um, We haven't actually gone with a listener question this week. Um, We've gone with something that we've seen on social media. So big shout out to tennis social media guru, 
Bastian Fakan for the inspiration uh, because he tweeted, uh, with Yannick Sinner winning his first Masters title in Toronto, who, in your opinion, is now the best active player currently on the ATP Tour to not have won a Masters title or Grand Slam? So Sinner's obviously ticked off that Masters uh, title now, but who do we who do we think? Yeah, is the best active player who is still yet to get a Masters or a Slam? Talon Griechspor. Talon Griechspor. <laughs> well, watch um, this space, Joel. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I mean, for me, uh, there's yeah, there's a few names you could throw into the into the into the ring here, but I am going to go for Kei Nishikuri. Okay. who I just think he was very unlucky in terms of a player similar to like, a, you know, Marin Cilic and a, and a Tomas Burdic played, you know, his peak was around when all, I think the big four were around, you know, Murray, Djokovic, Nadal and Federer. And it was just very, very hard for him to even have a chance um, of winning. And, uh, you know, he got to four finals and he lost all of his finals to either Nadal or Djokovic. And uh, yeah, I just think he just his level that he showed, and particularly you know what he showed at Grand Sams as well. For me, I think he deserves. I don't even think he's like a, a token sort of Masters champion. I think he probably deserves a few Masters title, given you know the levels that he's he's shown throughout his career, particularly in his peak. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that. I think he definitely had or has the the capability to have, mm. have won a Masters. It's just that kind of, oh, playing in the wrong era almost. Um, I I personally have gone for someone like Berrettini. I think oh, okay. um, if we had a Masters on grass in the run-up to Wimbledon, yes, like if, if Queens yeah. was a, a Masters, I think he would definitely have uh, got one. And I think Casper Ruud will, will surely one day, um, will, will surely one day win, win a clay, a clay Masters. Yeah, um, I feel like it's inevitable that he'll he'll pick one up <laughs> along along the way, um, and I would say like maybe I guess Kyrgios would have it in him as well, um, and has obviously been close with with winning a Slam as as has Rude and, and Berrettini. They've all been finalists, so they're the ones I would have to pick. Um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting food for thought, um, and I guess there are so many players that. You could, I mean, I think anyone on their day, we've known, you know, has yeah. played lights out tennis. I remember Chorich last summer winning, um, winning, was it, it Cincinnati? Like, it can yeah. happen, those sort of, I don't want to say flash in the pan, but someone mm. can just bring a level of tennis for a week and win, you know, win the win the title, at, at, you know, at the end of it. And it, it can happen, at, at, you know, on the ATP side at, at Masters tournaments. I just think, yeah, for me, Personally, for me, Nishikuri had did have a level of consistency before, you know, it feels like his body just kind of repeatedly breaks down on him, which is is really annoying. But when he did have that consistency and he was making, you know, finals, just just coming up against players who are just generational talents. And for him, that must be, I guess, really frustrating because, as I said, I think he's he's deserving of definitely more than one, you know, Masters title in his trophy cabinet. Yeah, I, I I believe so. Um, let's have a look at the sort of news that's come out in the last few days to a week. Uh, we've had an announcement that the WTA Elite Trophy is back and it's going to be in Zhuhai. Uh, so this tournament is the one that's kind of the level below the end of season finals. It's basically brings players ranked 9 to 19 in the, the year end uh, rankings on the WTA. Um, together to play, you know, a similar format to the end of season finals um, where they're put into groups of three and it's like a round robin format. Um, there's also a doubles version as well. Um, so this is going to be out in China at the end of October. Um, but what do you make of this, Joel? Because obviously this has been announced. We don't even know where the end of season finals no, is going to be. Yeah, this is this is like the, the sort of second class event, if you like. You know, it's, it's obviously a... It's an elite trophy. People want to be there. It's great a tournament to play. And if you can't get into the end of season, do they final... call it the elite trophy just to get over that sort of perception that it is the it is the, <laughs> the backup? It thing. is the it is the second division to the end of season finals. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, maybe they shouldn't should should they be doing this at all, or should they not have mm. like a next gen for the the WTA? Yeah. What do you think? What would bring in more? 
um, I guess, publicity and, and money, I suppose. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that they have announced bringing this back, I think, in terms of end of season tournaments rather than have the the premiere event, which I think has some issues still going on to it, particularly around the fact that obviously we don't know where it is. And, you know, last year in Fort Worth, it, four people it felt like turned up at times to a big empty arena. The fact that we've kind of gone ahead and, and announced this, um, it almost feels like we've focusing resources and attention elsewhere when i think we should putting all our you know wta should be putting all their you know focus and um resources as i said into the end of season final which isn't fully known and the details of it are just not out there in the public domain at the moment and if there was a supporting tournament to that i think they should follow personally i think they should follow the atp's model and have the end of season finals and then the next gen finals because I certainly think there are some exciting talents on you know the WTA tour at the moment that would fit into that next gen category and I think fans would be more excited to see those next generation talents go at it in a you know an experimental format wherever it is in the world in an indoor setting I think that to them and for me is more exciting than seeing players ranked 9 to 19 which we know that some will drop out and in theory yes it will be top 20 players but the reality is you know players are going to drop out and it's going to become a bit of a mishmash like we've seen in the past I'm not totally sold on it to be honest yeah I'm I feel like the jury's out and also you know being in China we've still all got, mm. got the the whole situation with Peng Shui I think you know a lot of people are not happy that the WTA have gone back into China and obviously they we've discussed this on the podcast before they have their reasons you know, a lot of it's financial um China's one of the only few places that's willing to put up a certain amount of money um and that's hard to say no to when you know there's such disparity between the women's tour and the men's tour so you know they have their reasons but I mean it's good that there is this event for players of that ranking and I'm sure there will be players who would you know more than happy to to go out and, and pick up the, the prize money that they'll be offering but yeah i'm not sure it's the greatest event in the calendar would you would you like to see an atp equivalent of the elite trophy on the men's side <sighs> i mean you know i love tennis i'm a tennis fan i'm not going to say no to a tournament i guess but you know is it really providing that kind of spectacle in the same way that the, you know, the world's top eight is going to do. It's, you know, you could, you know, the world's second eight doesn't quite have the the same uh, pizzazz, does it? So I think doing something like an experimental next gen where you're watching for kind of the innovations and the young prospects, that has a better selling point. Um, and one player that is frustrated with the lack of knowing where the actual end of season finals is going to be, she's probably going to be there, um, is, is on Jabor. Um, you know, she's come out to say that she doesn't know where it's going to be held. It's frustrating um, that she wants a decision as soon as possible. And, you know, they want to get promoting the event. Um, and it's just, yeah, it seems quite weak from the, the top of the game. Um, you know, the WTA leadership um, that we're not sure where it's going to be. And I think a lot of people are saying it might end up in like Saudi Arabia. Who are going to, you know, they're one of the places that will pay pots of money for it. But you know, how many fans are going to travel there? How many you know how many people will agree with it being there so it it raises yeah some sort of ethical quandaries doesn't it when we're waiting on decision and when we get finally that yeah. decision <laughs> will know, people be it's, happy it's ridiculous and i think yeah we we were in this situation last year and i can't believe we're in the same situation again and we saw in fort worth that there was just not enough time for it to be promoted in the right way and have enough publicity to make people aware that this event was happening, to get bums on seats, big crowds, championing and celebrating the top eight female players in the world. And the more time that you know comes and goes, that ticks on, the less chance there is going to be to, to promote the event. And the more I'm worried about the fact that we're probably going to get an event where, again, five, six people turn up for, for group stage matches. And it feels a real shame because, as I said, the, the WTA feels like it's having a movement this year. You know, we're talking about like, you know, the big four with, you know, Sviantec, Coco Goff coming to the party, Rabakina, Sabalenka, Jesse Pagula. And um, again, it feels like the WTA 
are they going to be capitalizing on this on this set of fantastic athletes that they have at their disposal and the answer is is probably not <laughs> and i think what's really galling about it is you know you just have to compare it to how the atp do things and it feels very clear cut and night and day and uh we're sort of in this situation of the fact that top players have no idea what's going on it's not good enough and i do worry that you know we might end up in saudi arabia because they have the most money but is it going to be the greatest spectacle and you know there's going to be full capacity crowds there i think it might just end up in another fort worth situation yeah exactly that may well be what we end up getting um so we'll we'll keep an eye out for, for all unless the news. they bring it to the o2 arena in london the right? o2 arena that would be fantastic wouldn't it <laughs> i'm not at all biased in us wanting it in london but <laughs> um let's have a look at what we've got on the circuit this week though because we do have a couple of events uh in the last week before the us open we've got winston salem for the men mm. and we've also got tennis in the land uh, which is out in cleveland for Kim, the women winston salem with like the biggest 250 draw i think i've ever seen it feels a bit it feels a bit too ridiculous that they've got 16 seeds and they've been given a bye in <laughs> into the round two of an atp 250 yeah, it does seem a bit drastic, doesn't it? Um, maybe they're thinking, you know, players who have been at, um, you know, um, Montreal and and then Cincinnati, they they need to um, they need to have that extra day or you know that extra buy going into Winston Salem. I guess it encourages more people to play it before the US Open because you know people are, are quite reluctant to do so. Um, but there we go. But we do have yeah, tell on Greek sport. You know, one of your faves, Joel, it seems. Uh, Borna Koric, they are the top two seeds. Max Purcell is there. He did very well in Cincinnati. Yeah, he's, had, he's, he's, uh, he's doing very well, I think, over the, last, you know, over the last few weeks. Um, very, very handy player. He's, he's, I think, just about to just to about win. to win to get into yeah. the second round. Jack Draper as well, uh, also in the draw. Britain's Jack Draper. Um, nice yeah, to see him back into the tour. He's already got his first win over Nuno Borges. Mm, so great, great for Jack. But um, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, we've got Seb Corder in there as well. He'll be hoping for for some good form going into his home slam. So I feel like it's anyone's for the taking, but there are a few names who are, you know, we're sort of earmarking, I suppose. Um, and yeah, some, some last sort of minute run of form, um, you know, going into the US Open, some people will be relying on these matches to to get that form up um and then on the women's side of things they're out in cleveland we've got um yeah 250 tennis in the land great name um caroline garcia we're obsessed with there. that name aren't we where did, where did that come from i, just, I mean, it's just it's just so bold and, and not like anything else is it no it's uh yeah why it's isn't quite, it the cleveland different. open <laughs> um but yeah we've got garcia as the top seed she's taken a wild card she's pretty much desperate for some form i think no. um it's not been great that for is her. Des- no it's not has it it's not been pretty no not at all and um she's actually just stepping onto court now as we're recording this against linda fruvertiva so um we will see what happens there um critique of her also there um i think she's uh, actually she's already out clara torson has defeated her um so yeah it's anyone's for the taking really sloan stevens is there so chris will be hoping she has a great week as well uh, in the run-up to the us i mean it's only sad venus williams was scheduled to play and she was meant to play uh mira Andreva, but she decided to uh withdraw i was gutted about that kim because i can't think of in terms of like age differential between two players, I can't think of anything that's more drastic than Venus Williams versus Andreva, which is, what is that, 16, 16 years old versus 40, 41, 42? That would probably be the biggest age difference that we could have had. Yeah, I, I would say. Yeah, I Listeners, would say let so. us know. Can you think of any other big, differentials between two <laughs> players you've stepped onto uh the wta or the or the atp tour i'd love to i'd love to know um but we sadly we haven't got that because We're yeah not, venus williams yeah. Has, has dropped out it may never happen we may we may <laughs> never have that big age cap <laughs> i know and we've also got the us open coming up which i'm very excited about fourth and final major of the year tennis weekly will of course be doing our round by round coverage starting with our us open preview episode on thursday so i hope you can join us for that 
But listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. Uh, you can also purchase Tennis Weekly merchandise now at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. So do go and check out our offering on there. I'm wearing my hat at the moment. Joel is wearing his lovely Tennis Weekly hat as we're recording. He's fully in the Tennis Weekly zone. And I've been using my tote bag um, to get out and about. Got to live the brand, Kim. Got to live the brand. Living the Tennis Weekly brand. So, yeah, everyone, (laughs) you can as well. Uh, So go check out the Etsy shop. Uh, You can also drop us an email on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website as well, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Thursday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our US Open preview. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.